Turn if you would. You're going to need um, a finger today. Turn if you would to Leviticus chapter 16 and also 1 John chapter 1. So put a finger in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read Leviticus 16 verses 6 to 9. And then I'm going to jump down and read just verses 20 to 34. And then we're going to flip over and read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, okay? I've just given you a whole bunch of numbers. It's okay. Bear with me. So Leviticus chapter 16, verses 6 to 9 says this, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that uh, it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. I read 10 also. Now jump down to verse 20. So Leviticus 16, verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take uh, off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their, sin, their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statue to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. And on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, uh, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. 
And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, turn over now to 1 John chapter 1. Just verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray again. Lord, I pray that that you would give us what we need today, that you would feed us from your word. Help us to see wonderful things about you from your law and the gospel, that we might praise your name. I pray that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we try not to make a big deal about this um, because it doesn't always work. Um, it's not always clear. But our our liturgy, our order of service, how we do things, um, it has a point. In fact, when I, I try, when I pick out the songs that we sing, I try to choose those songs that fit with the message of the passage that I'm preaching from. So we usually open with, with songs of outright praise. Although last Sunday... Um, the, song that we, the songs that we sang, they actually built toward redemption, and we ended with shouts of praise. Um, so we started with the, the hymn, uh, uh, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. See him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. By his Son, God now has spoken. Tis the true and faithful word. And then we sang, Tis this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Of course, even as even as Christians, those of us in here who have trusted in Christ for salvation, even as Christians, we also need constant reminders of the gospel. And so we sang this prayer last week. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. That was our prayer. But then after we looked at after we looked from Leviticus chapter 16 at the, at the covering of atonement for sins through the shed blood of the Lamb of God there in Leviticus 16, we closed out our service last week with these words. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. Deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than a mountain, sparkling like a fountain. All sufficient grace for even me, for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions. And the men are supposed to say, sing it. 
greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise, praise His name. Now that song, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus, that would have also been appropriate for us to sing this week, although they, they tell me it's a little bit of a challenge on the piano. And for some of us, those high notes there at the end of the chorus are really something. But it would be completely appropriate because of this line, greater far than all my sin and shame. The wonderful grace of Jesus is greater far than all my sin and shame. All my sin and shame. Shame. Shame is an interesting thing, isn't it? One, one writer described shame like this. He said, when your conscience speaks to you, what voice do you hear? Is it an inner lawyer or an inner grandma? The inner lawyer is interested in right and wrong, good and evil, guilt and innocence. As you weigh your future options or consider your past actions, that inner lawyer will ask questions such as, is it right or wrong? He's either your defense, you were right, or your prosecutor, that was wrong. Either way, that inner lawyer deals in categories of guilt and innocence. He judges you and your actions according to, to fixed categories of right and wrong. Atonement, through the work of Christ on the cross, specifically propitiation, atonement covers our sin. Thereby, it deals with our guilt. We are guilty of sin, and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the debt, the guilt price, the wages have been paid by Christ on the cross. This is the one thing that we need to remember as we, as we consider these things. See, ultimately... The Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, all about the Day of Atonement for the people of Israel. The Day of Atonement was given to teach us physically what Jesus was going to do for His people spiritually as well. The Day of Atonement was given to give God's people hope. Hope that atonement covers our sin. And it also deals with our shame. This is, this is very good news. This is where that, that voice of your inner grandma comes in. The inner grandma is different from the inner lawyer. She's not so much interested in guilt and innocence as she is in honor and shame. And, and so it sounds something like this. What will people think? Or, you're wearing that? Or, uh, how could you look them in the face again? Shame on you. See, the inner, the inner lawyer deals with evidence and law. Once the facts are in and the case is made, who cares what other people think? You're either guilty or innocent. The inner, the inner grandma, on the other hand, is very much interested in what other people think. 
and how, how that should make you feel. In fact, that's how she's making her decisions. What will the neighbors think? Will this bring honor or will it result in shame? But, but there's good shame and bad shame. There's a difference between being shameless, that's when you ought to have shame, and being unashamed, like we are called to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between your inner grandma voice telling you not to be shameless and the accuser heaping shame on your head and your heart like hot coals. You know that shame is one of the very first results of the fall of man. Um, When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, before God even confronted them, they knew they had sinned and they felt shame. Listen to this. Before they sinned, there was no shame. Genesis chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says it like this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Sin had not entered the picture. There was no shame. But then the next verse, which begins chapter 3, introduces the serpent. And after the serpent or the the dragon made his way into the garden and, and all of his deception with him, after Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, we read this in Genesis 3, verses 8 to 10. It's just a few paragraphs later. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That's shame. Yes, he was guilty. He had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he also felt guilty. He was ashamed, which which led to fear and hiding, which led to his attempt at isolation. As we've seen, and we know this from uh, we know this from personal experience, sin defiles everything. It defiles us, it defiles our families, everything we touch. And when we consider the the context of Leviticus, as we've been working our way through this book, all of these laws that we've looked at over and over here, we begin to see that we we can become defiled either through our own sin or even sometimes through the sins of other people, even through coming into contact with with defiled or unclean things. Think of the, the mold, the mildew, and the leprosy issues that we looked at in the previous chapters. And we often feel... We have to feel shame because of this. We can feel shame for our own sin or for sins committed against us. We can feel shame if somebody close to us sins and brings shame upon our house. You can feel shame through guilt or through defilement. And shame is, shame is powerful. Shame can cause us to hide. Shame causes us to keep our secrets hidden. Shame isn't easily forgotten. Shame tries to isolate us. It breaks relationships down. 
Shame tells us we are not worthy of love from God or from other people. Shame tells us that we are damaged goods. And shame thrives in spiritual darkness. And the world, even our flesh, tells us that we should ignore it. Stop feeling guilty, we say. Time heals all wounds. Get over it, we tell ourselves. Yet this only leads to what the Apostle Paul calls a seared conscience. A conscience that has, that has no more feeling left in it. A conscience that is numb to the pain of guilt. See, shame is actually like a, like a God-given pain receptor. So when you touch a hot stove, right? Those pain receptors automatically kick in and you yank your hand away. Ouch, that's hot. That's what shame does. Shame recognizes spiritually that you have harmed yourself or that someone has harmed you. That's God's design. Yet, yet just like Adam, because of sin, we don't know what to do. And so we, we try to hide. We try to hide among the trees like Adam did. We push deeper into the darkness. What happens when you don't deal with the shame? We could say it like this, undealt with shame holds us back, isolates us, and pushes us further into the darkness, further into those dark corners where we think no one can see us. What does the Bible say about the relationship between Jesus and the darkness? Well, we got a glimpse of it there in 1 John chapter 1, but in John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about Jesus here, and he says this, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Often when we feel ashamed... The last place you want to be is with other people. That's the last place you want to be. How many of us, when we were kids, when you get into trouble, or you're afraid of getting into trouble, you know you've done something wrong, how many of us would run to our rooms and shut the door? Sometimes even pulling the covers over our head. That, that's shame. That's what's going on. We're just like Adam. I was afraid, so I hid myself. As Christians, when we feel shame, often the last place we want to go is church. Have you ever considered that? Often when we feel shame, the last place you want to go is church. We don't want to see anyone. Can they, can they see my shame? Do they know? I was afraid, so I hid myself. Little do we know that the cross of Jesus is the exact place we should go with our shame. That our shame is actually pushing us there. 
Remember, shame is actually a tool of God designed to push us to repentance and confession. It is designed to draw us to God himself. The Apostle Paul will even use shame as that kind of tool. In in 1 Corinthians, as part of confronting the people, the church of Corinth's sin, he says, he uses these words, I say this to your shame. But he's not using it like the accuser uses it. He's using it to drive them to repentance. And in fact, just a few verses later, he reminds them of the gospel that they believed. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Shame is designed to drive us to repentance to Christ, to remind us as his people, that we have been made clean. And so what we see in this this section here of Leviticus 16, the second part of atonement, second aspect of atonement, as we saw last week, if if the sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat, on the covering, is the payment for sin, if it is that covering of sin, the the propitiation for sin, then what we're about to look at is the removal of the guilt. The removal of the guilt. So atonement. Think of the, just think of the word, at one meant. Atonement. We are at one with God. Atonement brings us back into full fellowship with the Lord. There's nothing between us. No sin blurring our vision. No iniquity staining our clothes. No transgression smelling up the room. Propitiation is the covering of our sin by the shed blood of the Lamb of God. It has been sprinkled on the mercy seat, on the covering. And the fruit of of propitiation is expiation. I love those words. Most of you probably don't, but let me give you a secret. I don't know what a down is in football. I don't know anything about fishing, but I know some other things, so we can work together. The fruit of propitiation is expiation. That's the scapegoat, okay? The ESV uses the word Azazel, which is a literal translation, but we believe this is the scapegoat. So here's the spiritual truth in this. Our sin and shame, all of our defilements, whether we are guilty and did the sin or it was done to us and we are stained by it, all of it is completely removed, expelled, exported, extracted. So expiation is from Latin. Ex means out. Think exit. And piat is is the word pious. It it means good, holy, faithful, or pure. It means that you have been made pious. You have been made pure and holy because Jesus took the sin and stain out. That's what this means. So look at a few of these verses again. Um, Just verse 10 of Leviticus 16. We're going to be in 16 for a little bit. Just verse 10. The goat on which... Uh, The goat on which the lot fell for the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Jump down to verse 20. Just Just this one paragraph. When he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat 
And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put on them put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat free, go free in the wilderness. So for the people of God here, according to this ritual, the sin has now been covered. We looked at that last week. It has been propitiated, but it also must be exed. It must be expiated. It must be completely removed, exited. And so the priest now confesses the sin and the wickedness of the people. It is, it is symbolically put on this scapegoat to be led out into the wilderness. The point is never to be seen again. Why is this important? Why is all of this important? Well, for the moment, put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. It's the great day of atonement, that one day every year where you are able to have all of your sins paid for and removed. Everyone gathers at the tabernacle to watch. But there are things you have never told anyone. There are things that you would much rather just keep right in the dark. I don't even want to think about it anymore. I don't want to bring it up again. I certainly don't want to tell some priest who's going to say it out loud. Things that are just, just far too embarrassing. Just thinking about them brings shame. Look at verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. All their iniquity, all their transgressions, all their sin. Except you're not ready to tell even the priest that, that one shameful secret. You just can't bring yourself to, to tell him. You'd rather live with it. And so the shame gets pushed back into the dark corners of your mind. But suppose you're there and you can hear some of the sins that were being confessed. Shocking sins from people who you never would have expected to have done that thing or been hiding all this time. And while you may have been shocked at other people's sins, that priest doesn't even flinch. He's heard it all before. It's like he knows what's coming. He simply confesses the sin over the scapegoat. And just like that, the scapegoat is led out into the wilderness. The record of debt has been completely removed. But if you're an Israelite, now you have to live with that unconfessed, secret, hidden shame for another year. But you know what? You know what? I made this statement at the beginning. 
the Day of Atonement was given to teach us physically what Jesus was going to do for his people spiritually as well. And we, as Christians, we have a better and more perfect high priest who also is the one who takes the blame, who takes the sin and the shame upon himself and removes it. So now I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. You weren't ready for that. But here it is, and it's a passage you know, probably, or you're familiar with. Isaiah chapter 53. Just, just look at the verses. Just look at them. Verse 4. He has carried our sorrows. Verse 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought, excuse me, that brought us peace. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, he was taken away. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Verse 11, he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, he bore the sin of many. Do you see it? Do you see it? In Christ, the record of debt is completely removed. Let, let me give you another analogy. I'm guessing, um, I'm guessing that only a small percentage of us in here have ever been into the landfill here in Bell Fountain. I'm also guessing that of that small percentage, it's a very, very small percentage who ever have any desire to go back. Um, most of us, including the kids, most of us simply throw the trash into the trash can in the kitchen, maybe after we're told. We throw the trash into the trash can in the kitchen, and then we forget about it. A bunch of us then have to collect the smaller trash bags from around the house and whatever's left out on the counter, and, and we put it in a larger bag and, and bring it outside. Maybe even once a week, we bring it out to the end of the drive. And you never think about it again. A few of us in here have had the experience of then collecting that trash and bringing it to the landfill, bringing it outside the camp into the wilderness where no one will see it, smell it, or even think about it ever again, let alone get the stains all over you. Some of those trash bags are heavy, and they're filled with the most disgusting vile pieces of garbage you can imagine. Some of them are overflowing. Some of them are torn. Many of them are not properly tied and then dumped in the trash cans upside down so that when you grab the bag to throw it in the trailer, it all goes everywhere. Ask me how I know. Ask Zach how he knows. But they all end up in the landfill. Not just the trash can in the kitchen. 
Not just a bigger trash can that's out in the garage. Not just taken outside the house to the end of the drive. It's gone. It's taken away. You never see that trash again. All our iniquities, all our transgressions, all our sins, all our filth, all our shame, Jesus took it all upon himself and took it away. But not just out to the garage, not just to the curb, not just to the north side of Bell Fountain. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us that he takes it as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. That's an immeasurable distance. That means it's gone. It's in the wilderness. It's lost. Micah chapter 7 verse 19 He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Beyond beyond that place in the deepest parts of uh, of the Mariana Trench. Beyond those weird fish that have never experienced any kind of daylight. Beyond the deepest places where we really don't even know what's down there because it's so deep, mankind has never been able to explore. The point is, they're gone. Isaiah 43, verse 25, the Lord says it plainly. He says this, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And I will not remember your sins. That means not that, not that God can't keep track of your sin and shame like an old man who's always losing his glasses. It means that he chooses to forget. He puts them away. He chooses to forget. He chooses to never bring them up Again, in fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Because of the cross, when Jesus Christ looks at you, he sees his perfect bride dressed in white. You are not damaged goods to him. You're not a disappointment to him. You're not a, you have, no, you have no blemish, no spot, no wrinkle in the eyes of God. He sees your sin and shame no more. The wonderful grace of Jesus is greater far than all your sin and shame. Now we've already made this Uh, jump from the scapegoat of Leviticus to Christ. You've seen that. But I want to go back and point out that for the Israelites, this removal, this removal was available one day a year, the Day of Atonement. That's what this instruction, that's what this law is specifically saying. But we don't have to wait to confess our sin. So now turn to 1 John chapter 5. I mean chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. 
This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All unrighteousness. There's one important truth I want you to hear today. Because this is one reason we push those secret shames back into the darkness. So here's the truth. God does not draw back in disgust when we confess our sins to him. Have you ever read the Bible? There's some pretty heinous sins in there. I'm guessing that none of you are as bad as some of the people in the Bible, whom God redeemed. But even if you were the worst, he still redeemed. He still looks at his people and sees Christ's perfect righteousness. Confessing sins to Christ, who is the one who is faithful to forgive, it shines a light on those, on those dark corners of our lives, and it causes us to walk in his light, which shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, and cannot ever overcome it. Jesus is ready and eager to take your sins, to remove them and wash you clean. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Rest. That brings us to this final section of Leviticus 16. Just look at verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and do no work, either the native or the, sojourn, the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement shall be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. But did you catch that line? A Sabbath of solemn rest. Under this old covenant, the day of atonement was never ending. Every year, 
over and over. It continued year after year after year. In fact, the people, it says they were called to afflict themselves. That means deny themselves by fasting. In other words, it was a perpetual Lent. But under Christ, we don't need Lent because it's finished. We don't need Lent because we have Easter. In the New Covenant, we have no need for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that one day a year when the priest goes behind the veil for fellowship with Yahweh because when Christ died, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom, Matthew 27 tells us. And as a result, in Christ, we may joyfully enter into His sanctuary. And so every day is the Day of Atonement. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Because Jesus is the true Sabbath rest. And so we can come and rest in His finished work. We can come and rejoice and sing and dance and come to His table and eat and drink and so proclaim His death for sin and also that He is risen. Hebrews chapter 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that one and final time, that single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds this, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, There is no longer any offering for sin. It's gone. It's gone. And so if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you are in Christ, then eat of the bread, drink of the cup, and so proclaim that the wonderful grace of Jesus is greater far than all your sin and shame. Eat, drink, and rejoice that it is finished, that the condemnation has been removed, that the sin and the shame and the guilt and the filth and the trash is gone. Pray with me. Father, we come to your table this morning with hearts of thanksgiving, rejoicing in those three simple words of Christ on the cross, his his final words, his final proclamation, it is finished. But rejoicing that even in his death on the cross, death could not hold him. That he also not only had victory over sin, but victory over death as well. That he is risen. That he is ascended to the Father's right hand where he always lives to make intercession for us. That while we still live in this world, a world that is a pretty dark place, while we still sin, 
while we still do what we ought not to do, that our accuser has no power over us. That the shame that we feel at times because of our own sin, that it would drive us to repentance and belief, not into the darkness. We rejoice that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and won't overcome it. And so, Father, we come to your table this morning as your people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those who are saved and have trusted in you and are secure, that we can cry out with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And the answer is, praise be to our God and Father who has sent Jesus Christ, our Lord, to save us. And so it is to him that we cling. It is him we proclaim. It is Christ we preach. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.